and welcome to those of you that are watching us online as well. Thank you for joining us on one of our platforms. We always appreciate the fact that you've chosen to worship with us. Um, our lead pastor, as you guys know, is on vacation, and so he'll be back next week. So please continue to pray for him and his family and know that they appreciate your prayers. So my mom, Anne, um, my mom was a really creative person. Um, she could make just about anything. She made all of my clothes when I was a child, and actually this was something that I enjoyed. It wasn't a task, it was something that I really, really enjoyed. She had beautiful taste and beautiful sensibility. And the other thing about her in her creativity was her cooking. I mean, my mom really was the best cook. I know you thought your mom was the best cook, but actually, information, it was my mom. And the thing that I loved that she was excellent at was making pies. I love pie. There is nothing like a flaky, buttery pie crust, right? So as a kid, you know, she would teach me, try to teach me all these recipes and how to do all this stuff, you know, and I just felt like, ugh. This is just not for me. Like, I, I, I was failing at it. So eventually I tried a few times and then, you know, I gave up. And then when I became a parent and I had my own children, I said, you know what, I really, I want them to experience this like I did. You know, I wanna, I wanna get back into working on this pie crust thing. And when my mom passed away, it became even more important to me because there was something about working with these ingredients that just reminded me of her and helped me feel that relationship to her. Now the one thing you know about if you have ever made a pie crust, it's this four ingredients, four basic ingredients, but it can be very complex. There's a lot that goes into making this dough. It is not simple. Baking, baking takes time and it takes grace. Like you have to have grace for yourself because you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail a lot of times and you gotta keep getting back up and trying again and it takes discipline. It takes discipline. And that's kind of like the spiritual life, isn't it? It takes time. It takes time to grow in relationship with God, to learn about him. It takes grace because you try things and it doesn't work out and then you gotta get back up and you gotta try again and you gotta keep going, right? And it takes discipline. And so over these next few weeks, we're starting a series on spiritual disciplines. And we're gonna review, we know many of you are acquainted with some of these things, but we're gonna review some disciplines that we believe will help us all to continue to stay connected with our Lord and to grow. And so we'll be looking at things like confession, we'll be looking at simplicity, we'll be looking at service, as well as a couple of others. But today, we're gonna to focus on silence and solitude. And our scripture today is from Luke chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 16. You can follow along on the screen or on your Bible as well. And here is the reading of the word. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell, to his face, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him. He said, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. And so this is the part I want to direct your attention to. In the midst of all this, the scripture says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace towards us, Lord. We ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would hear what the Spirit of the Lord would be saying to us today. Help us to receive the word that you have for us individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, it's no news to you all, I'm going to tell you this, no news, that our world is filled with noise, right? Whether it's the train, whether it's your car, whether it's the LIE, whether it's your kids, whether it's your boss, whether it's you yourself, there's constant noise. And it's not just auditory noise, it's visual noise, right? So we have the New York Times, we have social media, and the worst, the worst of all, email. <laughs> and there is a thing called email noise. And so um, uh, a, study, um, a study of the average inbox in 2017 revealed that about the average one of us has about 200 unread email in our inbox. That was in 2017. Imagine what it's like today, 200. And when they looked out to some Gen Zers, they were trying to find, get some feedback on some challenges they were facing during the pandemic, they heard so much about email that they had to print the responses. It went from, it's an eternal chore, said one person, to another said, it has on its worst days brought me to tears. And then another person said, every time I get an email, it's like being stabbed. Okay? So let me tell you, we're all longing for silence. We don't even necessarily know what it looks like, right? But we want, we just want some quiet. We want things to settle down. We want some peace. But the question is, if we do long for this silence, why is it that this is a discipline that it's so hard for us to get a hold of and to work at and to stay with? Now, I know the first thing that you would say, and I probably would say as well, is that I just don't have the time, right? I'm just busy. You know, there's work, there are kids, there are parents, there's other things I have to deal with. I'm just flooded. I have a lot to do. And I just don't set aside that time naturally. But because of that response, I would say to you, and I say to myself, all the more I'm reminding myself, we need even more and more quiet. We need silence. We need a place where we're just with God so that we can bear the activity and the stresses of the day. But I actually think that time is kind of like a surface issue, um, that there are deeper, deeper factors at work with. And we're gonna look at that, we're gonna spend our time looking at those three things. The first is our identity. That's number one. Number two is I think we fear silence. And number three, we don't see the payoff. We don't see the payoff. So let's look at our identity first. Now, you all know that in this world, people value what you do. They don't value who you are. When you go someplace you haven't been before, the first thing that somebody says to you is, 
What do you do? Or if you're in a student setting, they may say, what school do you go to, right? These are the ways we acquaint ourselves with each other. We acquaint ourselves with the surface, external issues about ourselves. Kids would rather risk being expelled from school and cheat than admit that they're not as good as their neighbor. Cadets in West Point, in the Naval Academy, in the Air Force Academy, all of these academies have been rocked over the past few years by cheating scandals, massive cheating scandals. And it is also a fact that 40 to 90, hear these numbers, 40 to 90% of us lie on our resumes repeatedly. Now I know that's nobody here. Okay, I'm making no accusations. But look at those staggering numbers. Because we would rather pretend externally to be somebody we really aren't than to admit who we really are. But silence is where pretending ends. But it's in a good way. Because in silence, we can shed all of those false selves, all of that external identification, and we can get to know who we are truly in Christ and who he's created us to be. So I have a question for each of you. And be honest with yourself as you think about it. Where do you find your value? What do you identify with in yourself? How is your self-worth measured? Is it by how other people see you? Is it by your job? Is it fact by the fact that you're married? Is it by the fact that you're single? Is it about the, about the fact that you have a great education? Where you live? It doesn't matter, all of those things, and none of them are bad. There's nothing wrong with achieving, there's nothing wrong with education, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. The only challenge is when we begin to identify ourselves as those things. That's where the challenge comes in. Now, in the gospel story today, Jesus does something with this, and I think it's really fascinating. So he's kind of at the height of his popularity in this story. He's got disciples following him. People are following him. They're beginning to notice him. He's got a lot of attention. And in this story, he juxtaposes himself with this man who is exactly the opposite. This man has no followers. He has no friends. Nobody is coming near him. In fact, people are running away from him. And we tend to see the importance of this story as the fact that he was healed from this external disease, which he was. But remember, Jesus healed him also internally. He healed him by connecting him back to his community, back to his true self back to his identity, and you could argue that was the greater healing, because only Jesus knows who your true self is. Only he knows, because he's the one that created you. He's the one that brought you forth. He knows who you really are intended to be. And so, let me ask you a couple of questions. You can, if you didn't think about it, this, what I asked you before, just think about these two kind of situations. If your boss or your coworker criticizes your work, how do you take it? Do you take it like, oh, okay, you know, that's feedback, let me think about it, let me see what I can adjust, you know, let me just have a measured, you know, thought about it. 
If you cook something for your family or your friends and, and you say, hey, how was that? And they're like, eh. <laughs> it was food. How do you take it? I know how I take it. I take it like you can go get takeout next time. That's how I take it. Okay, that's how I take it. Or on the counter, let's say you get praised and rewarded for something. Do you just take that in like, oh, that was a gift? Or do you begin to figure out how can I get that again? How can I bolster my self-esteem by receiving more and more praise? My self-value now gets it's hung on your praise for me. But again, in silence, that's where these false images come off. Because when we're with God in silence, we don't have to receive a praise or approval or anything from anyone because we're getting the validation from God as it's meant to be. The second challenge that I think that we face is that we're afraid. We're afraid of silence. Now, we all sang, you know, worship was wonderful, beautiful. We sing about this God that loves us, and we know that. We do know that. But sometimes I think when we are thinking about being silent and in his presence alone, what we do is we put up this mirror, and we see a God that sees only our flaws, our failures, our mistakes, we see a God ready to nail us to the cross. And so we run. We run. Instead of running to him, we run away from him. In Sacred Journey, author Mike Riddell, he describes this situation this way. He says, there is something deeply embedded in the human condition which makes us shy away from the very thing we need most. We fill our lives with noise and distractions as a means of escaping the peace and solitude which we claim to be desperate for. Perhaps we are scared of the honesty which being still faces us with. Or it may be that the attractions of the surface are more appealing than the silence of the depths. Instead of running, instead of avoiding him, God is trying to draw us closer to him. And in silence, this is where we can have that uninterrupted time in communion with him. And the mystics, they describe this relationship with God in silence. They have these beautiful terms. They, they talk about it feeling like you're just resting in God when you're in silence. Or you're in loving presence to what is. Just beautiful. Now, I'm not going to tell you that whenever I'm in silence and solitude, that's exactly how I feel. I don't. I don't. Sometimes I feel just like I'm sure some of you do. I feel like this is a waste of time. I feel like nothing is happening. I feel like I'm not changing. And I feel like my mind is just spinning out of control. But the thing is, that's how I feel. That's not really what's happening. Being in silence and solitude with God is a discipline. It's not meant to be something that we are perfectionistic about. It's a discipline. So we're going to go forward. We're going to take steps back. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to hate it. It's a dance. 
And the key is to realize it's going to take us to a greater understanding of who he is and who we are meant to be in him. Even the worst days when you're in silence and the days you feel like nothing is absolutely happening, those could be the days where he's doing the most in your life and in your heart. And the third challenge is that we don't see a payoff. I think this may be one of the, the, the most uh, easy to kind of mistake and not recognize because as we talk about silence and solitude, we talk about the contemplative life and it tends to sound like it's an interior journey only. And it is an interior journey, but it's not only an interior journey. Henry Nouwen, he describes this journey this way. He says, the God who dwells in our inner sanctuary is also the God who dwells in the inner sanctuary of each human being. Intimacy with God and solidarity with all people are two aspects of the indwelling presence of God. These two realities can never be separated. Silence and solitude are not just my doorway to a deeper connection with God. They are the gateway to a deeper connection with you the world. Only when we are in silence with God do we gain a greater understanding of what his presence is in the other. We begin to see Christ in other people. We begin to see him in smiles. We begin to see him in sadness. We begin to see him in nature. We begin to see him in this greater world in a more profound way, the way that he wants us to see each of these things. That's one of the payoffs. Years ago, uh, Father William Manager came, uh, he died actually this year, earlier this year, um, and he was a monk at St. Um, Joseph's Abbey in Massachusetts, and he is largely credited with bringing uh, the discipline of prayer, centering prayer, um, back to the, um, the Protestant church. And so uh, Father Manager came here to do, uh, do a, a lecture with us on, on centering prayer, and I had the opportunity to go out to lunch with him. And so um, the day we were going to lunch, here we are, the two, we were definitely an odd couple. Here we are, this old white-haired man with full uh, attire and his cane, and me, this black woman, were walking down Queens Boulevard, quite a sight. I don't think you see that every day in New York City. And we went over to the diner, and we sat there for about an hour, and we talked. And he was so present. I have never had exactly an experience like that before. His eyes never left my eyes. He was totally focused but not intimidating. He asked questions, but he left them holding. He didn't press. He didn't push in. It was like being in the presence of Christ. I do not exaggerate. And when our lunch was concluded, he gave me his business card. Who knew? I didn't know. Did you know monks have business cards? Because maybe you all knew that. I didn't know that. So I still have his business card. And he said to me, call me anytime. Again, what? this is a man who is legendary. Legendary. And he says, call me anytime. In other words, I'm never too busy. I'm never too busy. 
What's the payoff? That's the payoff. The payoff is not just you and I are personally transformed. The payoff is we get to be Christ in this world, a world that is struggling, a world that is noisy, a world that is dying, a world where people are craving to see the truth of Jesus Christ, we get to allow him to transform us so we can be a loving presence to them. And you know, being a loving presence is not easy, is it? It's not. And this is a discipline that will help you and me become those people. So when you think about these three things that I mentioned, when you think about your identity, when you think about fear, when you think about not knowing the payoff, not understanding the payoff, which of these three things resonates with you? Which of these things do you think, hey, I think this might keep me from trying this discipline? Take a moment, just take a moment and allow that to celebrate, surface for you. In his book, The Celebration of Discipline, uh, Richard Foster says the following. He says, remember that the key to the discipline of study is not reading many books, but experiencing what we do read. And so I'm gonna say that's the same thing for silence, for centering prayer, for being still with God. You can read all the books that you wanna read about it, you can understand the discipline in your head, but it doesn't become real until we do it. And so we are going to do that. And before those of you wanna run out of the room, because I've just told you we're gonna practice silence, it's okay, hang in there. All right, we're gonna practice it. Those of you at home, find a comfortable chair. We're gonna practice it together. There is something about being in community and practicing this discipline together. And so we're gonna take three minutes. I will be the timekeeper. Um, what I want you to do is just try to find, first of all, a comfortable position for yourself. Just try to relax your body, take, find a comfortable position. I promise you, you're gonna make it through this. You're gonna make it through. Um, generally in this discipline, what we do is we're looking for, first you want to find a word for yourself. Um, it's like a, um, a, a blessed word. It kind of brings you back to the practice. So um, when your mind wanders, which it will, you're going to use this word to just bring you back to your prayer. So it could be Jesus, it could be Abba, it could be Father, Abba Father. You know, just something simple that's going to bring you back to remembering that you're in prayer. Um, and I like to think about the process of all of the distractions this way. It's like, you know, you're gonna see these little thoughts are gonna come by. They're like little boats. They're boats in the lake, they're gonna come by. They're gonna come by. The goal is don't jump in the boat. Watch the boat. You wanna watch the boat sail away. If you do jump in the boat, jump back out. Jump back out, let the boat go. Let the boat go. Okay, and you're gonna constantly be going back and forth, right? Because your mind is gonna wanna attach to things. It's okay, it's normal, it's natural. Use your word, Jesus, and you just come back, bring me back to my prayer. Another thought comes up, Jesus, bring me back to my prayer, right? It's a dance, you're just gonna go back and forth and you're just gonna go through the time. You don't have any expectation, there's no petitioning, there's no anything you need to say, you just let it be. 
Okay? So I'm going to set the clock for three minutes. I will keep the time. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. Take another deep breath. Let it out. And we'll begin now without three minutes. Amen. So for some of you, this is your first experience with this, and um, it could be anywhere from, you know, this was great, I want to do this again, to this was the worst thing I've ever done, why do they always make me be silent at New Life, I hate it. But remember, this is a discipline. It's not about how we feel. And remember, also that sometimes the times you feel like the least is happening is when the most is happening. This is not about your self-will or my self-will. This is about God and the mysterious ways that he works in us and he transforms us. And so um, before we have our communion, we're gonna share, um, stand together and we're gonna just share our prayer of confession. Um, and communion is a wonderful opportunity for us to kind of see also the fruits of this kind of life. The table of communion is for everyone. There is no one that's high, no one that's low, no one stands before anyone else. We all come to the table equally. So let's stand together and share our prayer of confession. Together, almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. You all have your elements. So on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's eat together.
and likewise he took the cup and he said this cup represents the new covenant in my blood that was shed for you whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again let's drink together So the communion table is a tangible, a tangible representation of the work of Jesus Christ in the life of his church. And when we practice silence, when we practice solitude, we get to step into that work in an active, daily way. And for some of you, you know, you might need a partner. And so ask someone that you know, would they be willing to be a daily prayer partner with you and you can have silence together. You connect with each other, you can spend some time in silence, you can go anywhere from what we did today, three minutes to five minutes to 20 minutes. And you just sit in silence and allow God to do the deep work, the deep connection that he wants to do in you that your soul actually longs for. There's also an app, a Centering Prayer app, you can download. Um, I use it myself. It helps you. It has prayers in it. Um, it has a timekeeper on there. It's on uh, Apple and Android. You can download that. Use that for yourself. It just helps you to kind of work through a more scheduled way. It has all different times on it, so you can take whatever time of silence you want, and you can start using that. And then for others of you, if you're in a small group, maybe this is something your small group can do together. And you can start off your time with a few moments of silence, directed silence. Look, again, discipline, I know. It is hard. It is hard. But this is not the same kind of discipline as in other cases. This is a spiritual discipline. And at the root of it, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ stands to support you and uphold you as you do this work. And when you fail, you're not failing as the world knows failure. You just get back up and you start again. And you have the same grace the second time as you did the first time. And if you fail the third time, you get back up. Because it's not about your performance, it's about the love that God has for you. It's about the place that he wants to take you. It's about the space that he wants to meet you in. And it's about who you are in this world. Again, it's not just for you and me alone. That's a bonus. But remember the mission statement here at New Life Fellowship Church. Deeply transformed lives in Jesus Christ for the sake of the world. The world needs you. The world needs you, not your false self, but the Christ-centered self that he birthed you to be. And that's what waits for you as you practice silence and centering. So open up your hands. We're going to pray together. Um, our prayer team will be here on my left. 
um, on your right. So you, if you would like to come up and allow them to hold you and uphold you in prayer, please feel free to do that. Um, I'd love to greet you outside. I'll be downstairs um, out the front door. So please say hi before you leave. Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of our living God, I pray that as you begin to uphold these spiritual disciplines, as you rebirth these tools into your life, that you will sense his presence, that you will know that he is for you, that you will know his immense, immense, endless and bottomless love for you and for the world, and that you will feel his grace as you continue. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Bye-bye.